The following audio is from Central Christian Church located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwire.org.
morning church so in the book of luke chapter 15 starting in verse 3 it says so he told them this parable what man of you having a hundred sheep if he has lost one of them does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it and when he has found it he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, and this is important, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So, show of hands. Raise your hand if you like to fish. Okay, good. Raise your hand if you've been fishing recently. Good. Now, here's the tricky part. Raise your hand if you've ever been fishing with 45-ish fourth graders who have never been fishing if ever been fishing or never caught a fish raise your hand 
It's tricky. So let me tell you my fishing tale. Not many weeks ago, I had the privilege of being the guest of honor with said 45-ish fourth graders to the huge monster lake of Oasis. So when we got there, the representative from the Department of Game and Fish and a game warden was out there with us teaching our fourth graders how to fish. Pretty, pretty important thing. If you teach a man to fish, he'll eat for a lifetime, right? Now, we got out there about 8.30. We, the, our guide taught us how to cast, taught us how to set up our pole, how to, how to tie on a hook, how to bait our hook, all the fun stuff. So we get out to the lake-ish pond about 10:15 and I'm walking around all of our kids are spread around I'm walking around just checking on everybody making sure everybody's having fun doing what they're supposed to and from the opposite side of the lake I hear this coach Barry I caught a fish well it just so happened that the young lady that caught a fish was one of our girls who had a very bad self-image of herself. And she had very low self-esteem. And so she was very shy, very quiet, but... She was the first one to catch a fish. Now, don't get me wrong. I love catching fish. I love fishing. Well, more, more than that, I love sitting out by the lake, by the stream, by the pond, and throwing fish hooks in the pond and let them get really wet. But, but here's the thing. The pure joy on that young lady's face when she reeled in that fish and she held it up for everybody to see. Now there's two things that happened. The first thing that happened was every child that was in the general area heard that she had caught a fish and they dropped whatever they were doing. It didn't matter if their fishing line was in the lake, on the shore, it didn't matter where it was. They dropped what they were doing and ran to see her fish. And then the second thing that happened was all of those same children went back to their fishing poles, reeled it in, and walked over to where she was at. Because she caught one there, I'm going to catch one there. But let's get to the real part of our story. If that young lady had that much joy... Over catching a fish, how much more joy does God have for us when we come to him? How much more joy should we have when our friends, our co-workers, our classmates come to Christ? Let's revisit verse 7 of that verse that I just read, that passage. Just so I tell you, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So I want you to picture something for me. Jesus and his daddy are sitting by a pond. And they're on opposite sides of this pond. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, Daddy, Daddy, I got one. Imagine the joy that God feels. That's the joy that we should feel when we walk in the door. When we're around our friends, we should feel that joy because we get to share our Christ our Father, with everybody we come in contact with. 
So let's get back to our joy. Let's start living with joy the life that our Father intended for us to live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your Son to die on the cross for us. Lord, bring back our joy. As we feast at your table this morning, Lord, allow us the opportunity to just sit by the lake with you and just hold your hand and feel that joy coming from you. Lord, we ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. Legalism. What does it look like? Let me ask you some questions. When is a prayer more righteous? At 5 a.m. or at 8 p.m.? In your closet or on a bicycle ride? Okay. What about this? When is music more proper? When it's classic hymn formology or if it's chorus based? How about this? Which version of the Bible is holier? King James Version, NIV, NLT. What if your Sunday school is held on Tuesday night? What is it about Christianity that makes us want to legislate how others live out their faith? Now, you need to hear me. I believe the church is designed by God to be the vessel of the gospel, but very little is actually stated in the Bible about the format of church. There's no biblical time in there, biblical location, biblical order of worship. Even church leadership has very little to say. There's elders, there's deacons, there's but different people are viewed it different ways. Now, why we come to that is this fancy word up at the top, exegesis. Exegesis is how we figure out what the Bible says and what, what it means. And the reason and the ways that we act it out are, are in three different ways. If Jesus gave us a direct command, if there is an implied example or if there is a necessary inference. What that means is Jesus tells us to do something, but in other areas he doesn't specify. So we follow eh, the example. The, the disciples met on the first day of the week, so we follow their example. Uh, a necessary inference. They broke bread and fellowship together. Some choose to do that once a month or once a quarter. We choose to do it every week. There's not a legislated way in Scripture. And some people want to make those things legislated. For a people who boast so much about freedom in Christ and liberty from law, we are very quick to impose rules and regulations on others. Agree? Disagree? Legalism can be a very dark side of a church and of Christianity. See if you have heard any of these statements or maybe you have even said some of these statements. You ready? I don't lift my hands in worship, so you shouldn't either. What about this? We don't dance. Christians that do are sinning. A lot of us grew up in that. Okay. We don't drink alcohol. It's wrong for all Christians. Well, I'm meddling now, aren't I? If you believe in the gift of tongues, you're too liberal. If you, are, if you don't have women in the leadership in your church, you're too conservative. We don't use credit cards. If you do, you're not a good steward. If you don't vote like I do, you clearly haven't read your Bible. We are in a background that that grew up with, or in the Restoration Movement, one of the big phrases was, we speak where the Bible speaks, we're silent where the Bible is silent. Problem, we talk a lot about the silence. We do a lot of talking about what it doesn't say. Yet sacred cows abound, finger pointing goes on and on, and the winds of grace can be stifled. 
We're in this series, Jesus Didn't Say That. And we're going to finish it up today. And if you join me in Luke chapter 9, Jesus never said everyone needs to think and act just like you. Now, I will tell you, I've been told by many people I've offended them in, in this series. If you haven't been offended, buckle up. You're going to get it today. Uh, that's how it is. I'm not setting out to do that. But I want us to look at a very peculiar piece of Scripture. It has bothered me, challenged me. Well, bothered not the right. Challenged me for a long time. Because I believe we've been fed a couple of lies in church world. Lie number one is... If God requires you to do it, then everyone else has to do it. And line number two is, if it's wrong for you, then it's wrong for everyone. Now, listen, this is tough, and we're going to talk about some tough things here. But I'm not, thought, I'm not talking about stated sins, okay? I'm not in any way trying to change Scripture. When Jesus said that gossip is bad and slander is bad and homosexuality and all of these different things that are stated in Scripture, black and white, I'm not trying to change those, okay? I'm talking about the sacred cows, the rabbinical laws that have been handed down. And some of them you'll see in this passage right here. Join me in Luke chapter 9. If you're on the radio, if you're listening uh, online, thank you for joining Central Christian Church today. Luke chapter 9 in verse 49. John said to Jesus, Master, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he isn't in our group. But Jesus said, don't stop him. Anyone who is not against you is for you. As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. So they went on to another village. All right, let's back up and unpack some of this. And yet again, context is king. Look at what is happening all around this passage. Look at right before it. They are arguing in verse 46, who is better? Does this seem to be a consistent theme with these guys? They tend to do this a lot. Hey, Jesus, which one of us is best? And Jesus responds with, you need to become like a little child. Not Act like a child. Become like one, all right? But then look up above that. If you go a little farther up in about verse 40, you'll see that they could not cast out demons. They couldn't do it. So that caused me some pause. Could there be some jealousy there? And is jealousy really that big of a deal? And the answer you're looking for is yes. James chapter 3 and verse 14 says, But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Could some of the problems that we struggle with in legalism root themselves in jealousy? Listen to it this way. How come that church has more people than us? Or why does that family go there? Or maybe it's personal. Why is their life so much better? Why can't our marriage be like that? You see, Proverbs 14 will tell you, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Let's be honest. The root of jealousy is often, very often, discontent. In almost every case, its base is dissatisfaction with ourselves with where we are, with what's going on in my life. Unmet expectations. We're jealous of their marriage because ours isn't very strong. We're envious of their fun because we carry around so much guilt in having fun with church. Now this isn't pretty, 
And these are very difficult statements. But before we start looking at everybody bad out there and them, I think we better start right here. And old Billy Shakespeare's not too wrong. Expectation is the root of all heartache. Could jealousy be the root of some of our legalism? Well, then let's go back to the passage at hand in Luke 9 and this subject of legalism. What is legalism? So I started chasing all kinds of things and finding different uh, versions, different comments, different, different people had a definition of it. Here's one I settled on. Legalism is the practice of establishing standards for spiritual performance based on the letter of the law rather than the spirit of it. You see, legalists major in rule-keeping. Their relationship with God is based on, did we get it all done? We saw that very clearly when we had the tabernacle out here, didn't we? That the, The way they got their relationship with God was going through all of those steps. If they didn't do all those steps, they couldn't be close to God. And then Jesus comes along and tears that curtain down and allows us to walk right in there. But you see, here's the kicker to being rule keepers and being legalists. It's easy because it's measurable. It's tangible. You see, you just do A and then B will happen. But what happens when you do A and something else happens? Well, you didn't do A hard enough. You didn't pray hard enough. You didn't trust hard enough. You hear what I'm saying? And we get caught in this legalistic loop Because life doesn't pay attention to legalism. Life defeats legalism. And legalism sucks the life out of faith. Jesus never set up a standard by which all Christians were to be measured. Oh, oh wait. Wait, I I think he did. I think that he did set up a universal standard. It's called love. He set up this standard where we are all supposed to love one another. Have we heard him say stuff like that? Sadly, love is often gives way to judgment. And grace gets drowned out by scorekeeping. And the church becomes a breeding breeding ground for legalism. But it's still fascinating to me. Who was it that bothered Jesus the most? Was it the prostitutes? Was it the tax collectors? No. It was the ultra-religious. He wasn't as upset at the sinners. They didn't approve of sin. But he wasn't as upset at them as he was the ultra-religious that should have seen him coming, that should have understood him. So here's my question. Which of those two groups, sinners or legalists, do you most align with? Well, what do legalists look like, Don? Let's talk about some common characteristics. Now, these are going to be hard, and if you want to write these down and you want to come back and listen to this later, that's fine. But legalists, here are a couple or three characteristics. Not a final list, but here's some. They cannot celebrate other Christian successes. They struggle believing anybody could love harder or try harder than them. So they're envious and they are not grace filled, often to people of different denominations. You hear me? Often to people of different backgrounds or different names on the door. Legalists, they often want what God can do for them rather than to be with Him. What I mean by that, it's, it's not really a father child relationship, it's more of a a commander-soldier relationship, or an employer-employee relationship. When I was reading through this and looking through this, I was drawn to the older brother in the prodigal son story. Remember that one? The younger brother ran off, spent all the money. We know he's an idiot, all right? But the the older brother. And what happens when the younger brother comes back and he throws a fit? I've been here the whole time. I did it right the whole time, you hear me? I've been doing it right, and those guys aren't doing it right. You see, we often want more what He can do for us. The the presence that He gives us rather than the presence of God Himself. And legalists, they struggle with giving grace 
to any idea that's contrary to theirs. Legalists that live by rule-keeping often judge other people. And listen to this. Frequently when the stance they have taken is challenged, they become angry. This happens in church stuff and can be especially true in politics. Uh-oh, that just stung. Now, this is not a definitive list, but there's some ideas of here of the us versus them. We've been talking about this in this Jesus didn't say that, the us versus them categories. But the irony here is the disciples play the, that card. He's not one of us, they said. Look there, he, he goes, that guy was casting out demons. He's not from our bunch. Maybe that's why denominationalism has been so bad in the church over the years. Oh, well, they're not from our bunch. We, we don't bunch with that bunch. We, uh, you, know, you know what I'm saying? And we've said this through this series, and I'm going to ask this one more time. Who do you think of when I say us and them? Who is a them to you? Is this somebody of different skin color? Is this somebody of a different church background? Is this somebody that lives a different lifestyle than you? And then you may be sitting there going, but Don, Don, you said, God said, yes, I did. But what if they're wrong? What if they're living in sin? Then they are wrong. But God still loves them. Because God still loves us. And that's the problem with the us and them. I said this a few weeks ago, and I'm going to say it again. We need to take the thems and make them into us's, but not to be like us, to be like him. We need to point them to the cross because God loves everyone that has made mistakes. That's a good one right there. That's, a, that's, that's grade A stuff right there. God loves everybody that makes mistakes. Jesus loved louder. This is part of that. He gets us series. You've seen the commercials and the Super Bowl and everything. This is part of that series. And I love that phrase. He loved loud. He loves people that have had abortions. He loves people that battle gender questions. He loves people that have battled with alcoholism. Maybe they've been to prison. Maybe they've lost everything. We need to bring them to Jesus because Jesus loves loud. And listen to what Jesus said. Go back and look at the passage there again. Jesus answers them. Hey, they weren't one of us. And Jesus, listen real close what Jesus said. Anyone who is not against you is for you. But notice what he didn't say. Anyone who does not think like you is against you. Now, immediately, some are going to say, but what about the passage where it says we're to be of one mind? Yes, we are to be unified in purpose, not clones. He didn't build us to be exact everything. Paul talks a lot. Some of you are a hand and some of you are a foot, and we all have work to do in the kingdom. Jesus here is talking to followers, and he's talking about kingdom work. He's not talking about things going on in the world. He said, if they are not against you, they are for you. But then I want you to notice what happens next in the next part. The reason we added this next passage on in verse 51 through, they go to a Samaritan village, and the Samaritan village did not help him. They did not help the work of Jesus. That should be easy. Let's zap them, all right? This makes James and John furious. They're the sons of thunder. Boy, they get the thunder and lightning out. They're ready to go. Come on, let's bring down fire. In fact, it says, let's bring down fire just like Elijah did. Now, again, go back to context. In context, look at what has happened right before this. Right before this, they're arguing about who's better. And then right before that, they couldn't cast out a demon but those guys were casting out demons, and these Samaritans aren't helping. Shouldn't we call down fire? Now look real close at your scriptures in verse 56. In verse 55 or 56, if you have NLT, NIV, some of the newer versions, it probably doesn't have anything there. But if you have one of the older versions, 
like a King James or a Revised Standard, it's going to have a little verse there. And the newer ones, it'll have a footnote. And you go down to the bottom and it'll say something about not from all of the Greek text. What happened there? I, uh, you couldn't leave me with a footnote hanging like that and a verse that isn't there. I've got to go figure that out and find out what's going on. So it turns out that some of the Greek text that they used to translate the Bible, some was found in Syria and some were found in Alexandria. And in the Alexandrian version, it adds this line. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Okay? But here again, these are Samaritans that are coming against the work of God. This should be an easy sell. Let's get all the church together. Let's get yelling at everybody that comes against the church. And let's yell at them. And Jesus surprisingly, doesn't agree with the fire-throwing and the zapping. He wasn't a big fan of that. In fact, he gets upset, but notice who he gets upset at, James and John. He turns around and he says he rebuked them because Jesus had already told them in this chapter how to deal with people that don't listen. Go back to Luke chapter 9, verse 5, and he says... When you come to towns, he's sending out all of the disciples. You're going to come to towns, and you're going to go in there, and you're going to be hospitable. But when you go in there, in Luke chapter, he had already told them how to deal with this. If they don't listen, just shake the dust off your feet. If they don't listen, now we've heard, a lot of us have heard this growing up. You shake that dust off their feet because they're going to hell. I don't read it. I don't see him saying that. He had already told them how to deal with it. He listened to the great prophet Taylor Swift when she said, shake it off. Uh, Come on. I I worked all week on that one. Jesus didn't say, destroy them. And he had the perfect opportunity, but he didn't. Jesus didn't say, well, go badmouth them on social media. And somewhere we've missed this message. We miss our calling when we spend more time yelling than loving. And we might even be hurting the cause of Christ. But Don, there's injustice in our world. Yes, there is. And my God is not blind to it. There's not one thing that is happening out there that has surprised him. There is not one thing out there that is evil that is going to get by him. But you know what I don't find in, in any Bible part? And maybe you show me. I'm still learning, okay? But you come show me. I don't find anywhere in there that gives us biblical authority to blast people. I don't find it. But you know what I find a lot? I find a lot of verses that say, love them. Listen to this. Romans 2 and verse 1. Write some of these down. Go back and look at them in context. Romans 2 and verse 1. You may think you can condemn such people, but you're just as bad, and you have no excuse. When you say that they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself, for you who judge others do the very same things. What about this one in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 6? God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. How about Matthew chapter 7 and verse 3? And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a, a log in your own one? All right, do we remember this? He said, how can you think of saying to your friend, hey, let me help get rid of that speck in your eye. Uh, pardon me while I bang you with this giant tuba four sticking out of my head. I, you see, the great news of the gospel is God does not condemn his children for past or present sins. We live with a God that forgives. But we also live with a God that gives grace. And we don't really get to determine that. I know there is horrid English in that, and Ms. Vickers would thrash me if she was seeing that. So if you're an English professor, go home and rewrite that in your head in the proper English. It's not supposed to end with a preposition. I get it. But it says what I need it to say. We don't get to choose. And friends, Christian legalism, I believe, is a slap in the face of the grace that saves us. 
Well, what do we do now? Just a couple of thoughts. Why don't we allow other Christians to be different than us? I'm going to let you in on a little secret. You're not the only Christ follower in the world. And you're not the best one either. <laughs> Neither am I. Okay, we, I think we can all agree on that statement. Can we allow different people to be different than us? And can we spend more time praying than we do protesting? Before you spout off about anyone's behavior, have you prayed for them? And not prayed, God, I hope you strike them down. That's not real prayer, all right? You might have started it and finished it right, but it didn't have the right spirit in there. Can we pray for those people that are driving us nuts? Can we pray for our government? Can we pray for people that are hurting our culture? And we need to know the difference between the gospel of Jesus and the gospel of Facebook. Because the gospel according to Facebook may not be accurate. Just because somebody shares something that sounds churchy doesn't mean it's biblical. And I think we too many times we do that. We need to monitor ourselves. And then we need to remember that God is still working on you. And maybe He's working on them too. He might be working on them with different people in different situations. And last I checked, He doesn't really ask my opinion on how those things work. He doesn't send me emails say, Don, is it okay if I do this? No, he just does things because he's God and I'm not. Now, friends, this is super hard. This series is super hard, but we want to be people of the word. And that may mean we are not necessarily people that are popular. We may not be politically correct. But 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 6 says, I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue His work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. When people tell us to stand up for the gospel, we need to stand up for His goodness. And maybe, maybe the thumper method might be appropriate here. Anybody remember Thumper? If you can't say something nice, hush. Maybe we need more of that. Maybe we need to be people that speak where Jesus speaks. And he told us to love people. And let's talk about that more. Because those are some things he said. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.